Okay, John, John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow, grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tricia. Today I want us to look at the bread we need. Uh, there is an assumption made generally in our society that because of the falling number of folks who are going to churches, that we are an increasingly atheistic culture. While it is true that there are less people attending church in the Western world, and certainly in Britain, uh, there was a survey done um, a few months ago, uh, or a census, and for the first time, over 50% described themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Whenever the question is asked, what is your religious affiliation? For the first time, over 50% in England, Scotland, and Wales said none, and that was a significant marker. However, it's not as simple as that because in a recent survey referred to by the Guardian newspaper, it mentions some work done by a Professor Woodhead. And during her research, Professor Woodhead devised what she called the Dawkins Indicator. And the Dawkins Indicator was named after Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists. And she measured various factors, and she found that although these nuns, these no-religionists, had declared themselves as such, 
Only a small minority were militantly secular, and less than half considered themselves atheists. The largest block of people was made up of maybes or doubters or don't knows. And then there was a number who did believe in God, a higher power or something out there. And interestingly, she says in her article, the younger the cohort, the smaller the proportion of atheists. And the article went on, perhaps the atheist Philip Larkin got to the nub of it 70 years ago when communal Christian worship was still flourishing. In his poem, Church Going, Larkin wrote that such places have an aura because they satisfy in us a hunger to be more serious. And the article concludes by saying that congregations may have thinned out, but spiritual hunger is part of the human condition. There is a growing realization that even in our secular society, that as human beings, we have a hunger, a hunger that is not satisfied by the larger houses, by the celebrity status, by the hot tubs, by the nice clothes, by the fancy cars. There's a hunger within us that goes way beyond those things. Our culture, our generation sees the rise of individualism, the suspicion of authority figures and institutions connected to them. And there's a culture of pluralism and relativism that says, my truth can be different from your truth, and that's okay, even though those two truths contradict each other in various ways. But they cannot explain this hunger for meaning that is in every single human being. Now, we as Christians are glad to hear this. We're glad to hear that the world is acknowledging that even in our secular mindset, that there's a hunger, a spiritual hunger deep within, a hunger for something or something more, something above us, beyond us. And as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we see that John in his Gospel keeps pointing us to Jesus as the one who satisfies this hunger. And again, he does this in chapter 6. Uh, he follows on the fourth and fifth miracles. Remember, in, in chapters 1 to 11, there are seven miracles altogether, or seven signs. In the fourth uh, miracle, we have the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And then the fifth miracle is Jesus walking on water between verses 16 and 24. So each of these signs, each of these miracles is meant to point to Jesus as uniquely different. And as John often does, he takes the miracle, in this case, the feeding of the 5,000, and he provides an extended bit of teaching. John's gospel has more teaching in it than any of the other gospels, really. These long blocks of narrative where Jesus is expounding and explaining. And here in uh, this part of chapter 6, we see Jesus speaking about the bread of life, following on from feeding 5,000 plus people with physical bread and fish. And in verse 35 of chapter 6, we have one of the key statements of Jesus, one of the seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. And if you know your Bibles, you know that I am is another version of Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. He's Yahweh, I am. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never 
be thirsty. And so what I want us to see today is how Jesus is setting before us again and before this society, before this culture, that He's the one who satisfies us deep down spiritually. There's three things we see here, three shifts that Jesus makes, tries to move people's thinking from uh, the physical to the spiritual. He wants to move their thinking from earning salvation to seeing it as a gift, and He wants to move their thinking from seeing that God is more than a general religious concept. He's here in Christ in front of them. So, let's look at each of those three shifts. First of all, from the physical to the spiritual in verses 22 to 27. We live in a physical world. That much is obvious. We are physical creatures. We require food, water, air to keep us going. The Bible says that our bodies are good. Our physical bodies are good. They are God-given. Paul indeed says that everything we receive, every physical gift we receive, we should receive with thanksgiving. It's good. And when people are deprived of food or water or shelter, we are to show compassion on them. And whenever the 5,000 plus came uh, to Jesus, they were hungry, and so Jesus showed compassion on them. He fed them physically with bread and fish. So we have basic human physical needs which need to be addressed. But we are not just physical creatures. We are spiritual creatures. And Professor Woodhead in her survey discovers this. We've been made with the capacity to love. We've been made with the capacity to worship. We've been made with the capacity to connect with something transcendent, with our spirit and our soul. And no matter where you go in the world, you will find people who want to nurture this spiritual side, who have a desire to worship. So we're physical creatures, but we're also spiritual creatures. And sometimes the, this balance of physical and spiritual gets out of sync. And we are currently living in a generation which is very much emphasizing the physical and sort of acknowledging the spiritual. And so our culture very much, if you're looking at a magazine or you're online looking at various articles and so on, it downplays our spiritual needs. It bombards us with advice on how to work better, how to dress better, how to eat better, how to drink better, how to pamper our bodies better. There's very little on the spiritual side. And in John chapter 6, we see that the people who were coming to Jesus were coming with that kind of physical hunger. Jesus says to them, you're, you, are you coming to me again because I fed you? I fed you physically. You're coming to me because maybe I've, you've seen healings. I've healed you physically. And that's why you're clamoring after me and hungering after me. But in verse 27, he says, what you're doing is you're going after food that spoils. It is not eternal food. It only lasts for a time. And so important as the physical is, it is only half the story of our existence. Jesus wants to point them and He wants to point us to the spiritual food that we need to nourish us for eternity. It has often been said that it is difficult to share the gospel with people who are very well off. They think that money can buy shelter, it can buy a comfortable house, it can buy leisure facilities, it can buy 
holidays. It can even buy good health with private medicine. They think they have the best that the world can offer. And so it's hard sometimes to come to someone like that and to say, but, but actually all your needs are not fulfilled. And they look around and they see all their physical needs and they say, well, no, I'm, I'm happy, I'm comfortable. You know, what, what more do I need? And yet they do need that spiritual side to be ministered to because they are ailing, ailing. They are, they are ill actually spiritually. They're, in fact, Paul goes so far as to say that they're dead spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, such people are spiritually dead, dead in transgression and sin. There is no spark. Now, Jesus sees something of that in the people who are clamoring after him, but he wants to take them deeper. He wants to offer them spiritual food that endures to eternal life. He wants them to become obsessed not just with their physical salvation, but their spiritual salvation. And so he starts to move them towards seeing him as the bread of life, the bread that they need. An awful lot of people in the world are stuck in this world. They have no interest in the next. But we have been created to have an interest in this world and the next world an interest in physical stuff, but also spiritual stuff. It's the way we've been created. And so Jesus takes the most basic food commodity in the world, bread. Every country has bread. Every nation has bread. And He takes this most basic commodity of life, and He says, I am the bread of life. You need this bread. It is something the same as what he did with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She came for water. Again, very basic ingredient of life. You can't live beyond three or four days without water. She got the water in the well, but then Jesus says, but I am the water of life. If you keep coming to this well, you will keep thirsting, and the inner soul will not be satisfied. But I can give you the water of life which will satisfy you forever. It's exactly the same point that John is making here in these two stories, in these two narratives. He, Jesus takes the most basic commodities, physical bread, physical water. He says, I will satisfy your spiritual hunger. I will satisfy your spiritual thirst. Without this bread, you will keep on thirsting spiritually, and you will wonder, how can I satisfy my meaning and my salvation in life. So that's the first shift that we see here that Jesus is encouraging the people to see, that they are obsessed with the physical, but He wants to move them to see the, the spiritual side of their lives and how He satisfies that. And then the second shift He makes is in verses 28 to 34, where He moves people to see that we cannot work or earn our salvation. The people ask Jesus a very important question. What must we do to do the works God requires? It's a very important question. In fact, I would say it's one of the most important questions anybody could ask. If you believe there is a God, how do I please Him? How do I get to Him? How do I communicate with Him? This is a vital question. It is a religious question that all religions have an answer to. But their answers are very different to what the answer Jesus is uh, or gives. Because most other religions say that you've got to earn your way to God. 
You gain salvation by doing things. You gain salvation by giving alms. You gain salvation by going on a spiritual pilgrimage. You gain salvation perhaps by taking communion. But Jesus says, no, you don't gain your salvation through earning or working. It's, it's actually quite different. So whenever they ask, what must we do to do the works that God requires, Jesus says, you don't have to do anything in a sense because it's a gift. See, verse 27, uh, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils. And they latch on to the word work, you see. They say, oh, work. Okay, well, what is the work that we need to do? And Jesus says, no, don't, don't, don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures, which the Son of Man will give you. It's a subtle distinction. It's very easy to miss that. What is the work that pleases God? Well, actually, it's not a work. It's, it's receiving the food that God will give you. It's a gift. Also in verse 29, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. It's a gift, and we just receive it. We just believe on Him. It's not a work in a sense. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 2 and 8. He says, we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Christianity is unique because instead of emphasizing what you must do, 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 it just says receive, receive, receive the gift of salvation that has come down from heaven like manna. It has come down to us. It is a gift. Most people, whenever they think of religions, they think of what I must do, how good I must be if I am to get to heaven. And Jesus says, no, the starting point actually is to recognize you can't get to heaven by what you do or how good you can be because no one can be good enough. It's about receiving the gift that has already come. Whenever the people around Jesus begin to talk about Moses and they say, well, you know, God gave us manna. God gave us manna through Moses to the children of Israel way, way long time ago. It was a miraculous provision. It was a gift from God to the people. They didn't earn it. And Jesus says, yes, and He's giving manna again. I am the manna from heaven. I am Jesus, the one who was there in Moses' time, but you didn't recognize that. But I am the one who gives this gift of bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So part of the uniqueness of Christianity is this idea of the gift of salvation. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. It is simply to be received as a gift. So the first shift is Jesus encouraging them to think not just of physical food, but their spiritual food that endures forever. The second shift is to say to the people, you don't earn this bread it's a gift from God. Just receive it. Take it. And then the third and final shift is in verses 35 right to the end of the chapter in verse 59, which is where he tries to shift them from a vague belief in God to seeing the person in front of them, Jesus, as the particular gift, as the particular bread of life that they are to trust in Him and receive 
him. So Jesus continues this analogy of bread, and quite controversially, actually, because he says, just as you eat physical bread, so you need to eat me spiritually to receive me. And the Jews say in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It sounds very cannibalistic. Even in verse 60, his own disciples say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Many Bible commentators wonder if Jesus has in mind the Lord's Supper or communion, which He will instigate in a short time. Of course, it's not mentioned here at all. The people who are listening to Him will not kind of know anything about the Lord's Supper that is to come. But I, I think, in a sense, the commentators are right because this is at Passover. This, this conversation happens at Passover. And at a Passover, Jesus will institute the Lord's Supper. He will bring in this new communion. And so whenever he's talking here about the body and the blood and eating my flesh and so on, I think in Jesus' mind he's thinking about communion. I think he's thinking about the Lord's Supper that he is going to instigate. But basically here he is making a simple point. He's saying just as you need to receive bread, you eat it. If you, know, if you, if you don't eat it, it will not do you any good physically. So exactly the same with the spiritual bread, with me. If you don't eat me, if you don't receive me, I will not do you any good spiritually. I think that's the basic, simple point that he's making. If bread is going to do you any good, you have to receive it, you have to eat it. If Jesus is going to do you any good, you have to receive him, you have to eat him. You need to take him into yourself. And so in this gospel, John keeps setting before us the uniqueness of Jesus, that He is the Son of God, He's the way, the truth, and the life, and we must, in a sense, eat Him. He is the bread we need. And the people hearing this found it hard to get their heads around it. They were offended by it. They were turned off by it. They rejected it. In verse 66, it says, from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back, and they no longer followed Him. They just couldn't take it. They just couldn't get their heads around it that we have to receive Jesus. It's like eating bread. And so they were offended by it. And as we close today, you know, this teaching is also hard for many people today, a generation that is suspicious of ex exclusive truth statements a generation that believes in many versions of God and many ways of getting to God. This is offensive. In a world where there are many religions and people saying, you could have your truth, I could have my truth, they're all equal, Jesus says, no, unless you receive me, unless you eat of me, you will not receive spiritual life. We have a society today which in a positive way believes in social justice, which believes in equality for all, but which is also, and I'm sure you've noticed this, very quick to be judgmental, very quick to counsel people, very quick to say, you're, you're a sinner, you've, you, you, you're failing society, but very rarely pointing the figure at themselves and saying, I too am a sinner, I too need salvation. And so Jesus comes into our world today and He says, all of you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You need the bread of life to live to exist 
to live eternally. It is a hard teaching. It is an offensive teaching. In verse 46, Jesus says, no one has seen the Father except the Son who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will live, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus is the bread we need, the spiritual bread, the bread that if we take of Him, He says, you have passed over from death to life. Will you eat of this bread? You need to eat of this bread. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, as we prayed earlier, that there will be ears open, maybe to hear this word for the first time, to recognize that no matter what physical goods we have, no matter what comforts we have, no matter what physical food we have, if we do not have Jesus and receive Jesus as the bread of life, We are dead. We're half dead, dead in sin and trespasses. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would encourage us to look to Jesus and to see Him as the bread of life and to love Him more than anything else in this world because He has loved us and given us His life. And so today we want to eat of Him, to be strengthened, to be refreshed, And to say, Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We love you more, more today than we've ever loved you because of all that you have done for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and remind us of all that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us to receive him, to receive him today. For your glory we pray. Amen.